0: Uh, Hello and welcome to the JNN Podcast. My name is Jeanette. Uh, This is a podcast where we talk about movies, TV shows and anything in between. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. And if you're coming back, welcome back. Hope you're doing well. Uh, Before I get into any details, I would like to welcome back my guest, Oscar Martinez.
1: Hi, thanks for having me again, Jeanette. Um, It's a pleasure and I'm glad we get to watch really good movies.
0: Yeah, yeah, I really, I'm really excited to talk about this uh, because we're going to continue with the cinematography series for Greg Frazier by talking about the 2014 biographical sports drama film Foxcatcher. It was directed by Bennett Miller and written by E. Max Fry and Dan Futterman. And the long logline is after Longing to compete in wrestling, uh, Eras John Dupont recruits 1984 Olympic medalists Mark and David Schultz to join his private wrestling team, Foxcatcher, where they help coach U.S. wrestlers to participate in national, world, and Olympic competition. And as they aim for gold, the film follows the personal life of John Dupont and the relationship between the Schultz brothers. Before the 1996 murders, I received information from Wikipedia, IMDb, Sha On What, Time, The Hollywood Reporter, and The Philadelphia Inquiry, and also The Guardian.
1: Well, I had a question. Did you know about uh, this whole thing that happened in real life? Because I, I totally didn't know, and and uh, so it was kind of a surprise. And and just the way the movie played out, I was like, there's no way this happened in real life. But I'm just curious if you knew about this. Or- I mean,
0: like as a kid, I didn't know about this. It wasn't until I think one of the podcasts I was listening to talked about it. I think it was, um, I think it was like My Favorite Murder or something that they mentioned it. And then um, I did remember seeing the fox catcher coming out. So I was like, huh, like, that's interesting. And then, like, I, of course, Googled and uh, looked through it. And then that's kind of how I found out.
1: Yeah, I remember when it came out, too. I, I kind of just kind of snubbed it. Like, I, I I, was like, oh, it looks interesting. I mean, also, when did this come out? 2016, right? So Oh, 2014. 2014, yeah. I don't think my... That was like this type of movie was in my, the type of movie that I wanted to see, I guess, at that time. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Cause so I, I think, just kind
1: of skipped it, but I'm glad I caught it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Cause I think, um, I did remember it because it was nominated for uh, several Oscar awards, including Steve Carell. Um, I don't remember who won for that season, but I did remember, um, that he was one of the people that got nominated. In terms of the cast, you got Steve Carell as John E. DuPont. Uh, You may know him from, of course, The Office, the U.S. uh, version. Uh, This Apple TV show called The Morning Show, uh, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, and Date Night. Uh, Next, we have Chani Tatum as Mark Schultz. You may know him from Twenty One Jump Street, the GI Joe series, White House Down, and Magic Mike.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've uh, all seen that movie more than I once. I mean,
0: yeah, I have. I know my mom wanted me to go watch it, and I'm like, I'm not gonna watch it. You could, you could do that on your own.
1: <laughs> oh, you haven't seen it.
0: No, I I saw it later because she bought the DVD version of it. And I was like, oh, my God, (laughs) this is horrendous.
1: (laughs) I thought it was great, honestly. I thought it's what we needed at that time. Yeah. (laughs) As a society.
0: Yeah. Uh, Next, we have Mark Ruffalo as Dave Schultz. You may know him from 13 Going on 30, The Avengers as the Hulk, Spotlight dark water which ironically is a film about the dupont contamination of a town with unregulated chemicals so it's kind of ironic because he plays mm-hmm. you know as a character in the fox ranch with john dupont and then in this the other movie he is a lawyer fighting against the dupont family
1: yeah i, rem- I remember that um that's great. Who was your favorite of the three? Uh,
0: three I would actors? say my favorite, I would say it's like Mark Ruffalo because I really like his uh, yeah. work. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I also love him in Spotlight because I think that's also a really great movie. And it's kind of like the same thing as Foxcatcher is based on a true story. And um, is it is a little heavy because it's about um, the Boston Globe Team investigating the um, Catholic Church and Mm -hmm. um, its hiding, you know, you know, basically pedophiles in their organization.
1: That one I did watch. Yeah,
0: yeah, that was great. And uh, and then I think second is Steve uh, Carell. I really because like it's interesting because I think this was like his first film when he was starting to be in a more serious role. Um, because I think this was, like, maybe a couple years after he left the office. And I think this was, like, the first thing he did um, after the office, too. So it's just, it was interesting to him as, like, a more serious role. And, yeah, I think he did a really good job. I wouldn't say he looked exactly like John DuPont. Like, I mm-hmm. think he was a little shorter, than the you know original guy and i think his nose sometime it changes and i know they talked about that that they use different noses throughout this you know the movie oh really yeah and then channing tatum like i would say he did a really good performance as mark because he's he is kind of in a situation where he um is trying to make something out of himself instead of being in the shadow of david schultz as we could see like in the beginning of the film but then as like it continues on he starts to want dave to come and you know be with him um so it's just like an interesting performance and of course it was even interesting to see him like be himself up and apparently, mm-hmm. Mark himself does that. Like he beats himself up, like whenever he gets like an injury. So that is, you know, pretty, <laughs> pretty raw.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely thought like, like it's such a crazy uh, pool of actors that they pulled from for for the film. But I was definitely blown away by Steve Carell. I think the first half I found him super interesting just seeing like the quirks of the character and like just the speech itself too Mm -hmm. and there's moments also where he kind of like stumbles a little bit in his words but like it just feels also natural the way he portrayed that character um Mm -hmm. for me i liked him i'd say i liked steve the most that character the most for the beginning of the film but i also like uh channing Tatum's uh mark like I don't know. They're both up there for me. Okay. But also, Mark Ruffalo was so good. Also, like, I like, he just so, he's so genuine, I feel, in that role. Like, it was almost like he was born to be that person. Like, it didn't seem like he was acting at all. I don't know. But I feel that way about most of his movies. So,
0: yeah. I think, like, for Mark, like, I think he was trying to come by as his brother who's trying to be close to, to Mark, but he doesn't understand that he, since a lot of people know him more than Mark, uh, that he doesn't realize that he is also a catalyst against Mark in a way, given the fact that he is taking his spotlight from yeah. him. It's and true. like,
1: I never saw it that way. No. Yeah.
0: And I think also like he's he's acting like a father figure to Mark because I didn't look in terms of the backstory of Dave and Mark, but I did remember that <clears throat> they would like move around throughout like early childhood. And um, I think like their dad wasn't around as much. So, you know, Mark did stated in the film that you know, Dave was his only friend growing up. So I guess it's kind of like, you know, just like, it's hard because it's like, you want to be, you know, friends and to be there for your younger brother, if you're an older brother, but you don't understand sometimes that, you know, it could be like perceived as a bad way for the younger brother. Um, Yeah.
1: No, that was an element for me that I that the thing I liked most about Channing Tatum's character was like portraying that that kind of like trauma and like you know as a as a dude I feel like you know there's sometimes like it's harder to accept emotion in oneself or like you know grow in that way. And Channing Tatum's character for me just kind of like was a a big reminder of like how certain people like that with that kind of background have trouble navigating the world and like just you know with anger issues and just the way he like was in his walk he was very like stiff always which I caught and it just for me like his whole character at at the start was just like the embodiment of this kind of like generational trauma slash machismo which uh, I don't know something that I always or I'm kind of aware of usually, so yeah. That's what for me was like powerful about his character. I agree. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: oh, wait, what was machismo? Can you explain about that?
1: Well, I guess I it's super. I guess the way I'm using it, it's super broad and just like just being like um, the traditional masculine, like masculine person, a very stoic person, a very you know non-emotional and like when things get tough like they like tough it out and stuff yeah uh, that kind of attitude or or you know like which uh you know is useful I think in some instances but also like you know I feel like um I don't know it for this character it definitely caused a lot of issues right and and, and he like was definitely like missing a father figure and, and couldn't couldn't grow couldn't like reach his goals because he he had this trauma that was holding him back this whole time in the movie yeah so you know that's kind of like what i was paying attention to
0: yeah i agree um and then understand like this was like in the 80s and 90s so this was like way before this whole understanding that yes like men can have emotions and it's totally Mm -hmm. fine for that
1: i guess that's why it stands out now you know because we're in a time yeah that we have come further along understanding that whole psyche
0: yeah in terms of like you know understand that like yes it's totally fine to have to allow people to have emotions and mm-hmm. uh, to explain like you know themselves and you know to reflect like how they feel at the moment mm-hmm. um yeah psychology <laughs>
1: psychology (laughs) exactly
0: uh in terms of the backstory uh so the director bennett miller began developing the project in 2010 after acquiring the rights to the story from michael coleman and tom heller and tom heller is a producer like just to uh, let everyone know so miller confirmed in an interview that he got the idea of the film after he was giving newspaper clippings of the events that took place at Foxcatcher Ranch uh, in 1996 from producer Tom Heller, a DVD signed for his 1998 documentary, The Cruise. And Heller uh, was also controlling the unpublished autobiography of Mark Schultz, which I guess came out a couple of days after the film was released. Um, and I'll explain that um, in a bit. So the screenplay for the film was featured on the 2008 Blacklist. Uh, writers Dan Futterman and E. Max Fry didn't work together on the screenplay. Uh, so back in 2006 and 2007, Miller approached Fry to start working on the draft, but when the writer's strike happened, the project was put on hold. And wanting to keep working, uh, Miller contacted his childhood friend, who is also a writer, Futterman, to finish up Fry's work. Uh, and originally Miller was supposed to be in production for the film in 2011, but he got sidetracked when he stepped in for Steven Soderbergh as director for Moneyball. So since the project took so many years to get off the ground, many actors were considered for the lead roles. So the original list was Heath Ledger, Ryan Gosling, and Bill Niley, uh, to be considered for the lead roles. So I'm assuming like Heath is probably was supposed to be Dave and Ryan was supposed to be Mark and Bill was supposed to be uh, DuPont in my opinion.
1: That's how you would cast it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> gary oldman was also up for the role of john dupont but he turned down the role for his commitment with dawn of the planet of the apes um, miller didn't think steve was the right person for the role due to him being known as a comedic actor but then after having lunch with Carell, he decided to hire him And Steve claimed that there was no joking between takes and he did not socialize with the co-stars at work or after work, sorry. Uh, (laughs) Mark stated uh, that the cast and crew were afraid of Carell as John DuPont and Mark and uh, Chani tried to avoid him as much as possible. Uh, Steve also studied footages of John DuPont for hours uh, shooting began in Pittsburgh on October 15, 2012. Since uh, the DuPont Mansion was demolished shortly after John DuPont died, filmmakers used Marvin Park, uh, which is a historic estate in Lesburg, Virginia, for the exterior filming, and they used the Wilpin Hall, which is a 1899 mansion in See Wickley Heights, Pennsylvania, for the interior filming. Uh, According to Cheney Tatum, he and Mark Ruffalo spent uh, intensive five to six months training for wrestling. They would film all day and go into uh, wrestling practice afterwards. By the end of the shoot, they were so exhausted that according to Tatum, he and Ruffalo cried after their final practice. Uh, Chani insisted that to Ruffalo uh, I'm assuming this is the hotel scene and he insisted to Ruffalo to just slap the shit out of me and get it over with and this resulted in Tatum's eardrum to accidentally get popped and the take is in the film for anyone who is interested in looking at that <laughs> uh, Bennett okay. Miller claims that post-production took Uh, a year without being on hold and he claims that he worked on the editing whenever his editor had the day off and he also uh, claimed that the rough cut was more than four hours long so
1: the Snyder cut
0: yes (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so of course this movie is based on a true story and the movie Uh, Is based on the events with John DuPont and the Schultz brothers as well as the 1996 murder of Dave Schultz. Uh, The movie actually downplayed DuPont's mental illness. So in 1983 at the age of 45, DuPont married a woman named Gail Wink as part of the prerequisite for inheriting his fortune. I think it was like 200 million he was inheriting he was convinced that she was about to be kidnapped after the wedding and then became convinced that she was part of a conspiracy Uh, he ended up putting a gun to her head and accused her of being a russian spy and she freaked out and left him and then they got divorced 90 days later and i'm assuming that she did get a lump sum from the divorce, because I think her, um, his mom, uh, Jean, uh, kind of helped with that to make sure that she's okay and everything, mm. AKA doesn't sue the family. John claims that he saw spirits walking around the Foxcatcher grounds, as well as Disney characters. And he also believed that the trees would get up and walk to a different area well yeah none uh, of
1: this is in the film
0: no yeah. yeah i yeah i got most of this from articles and then there's also a episode from let's go to court episode 64 which is a podcast that talks about john's background in his biography mm-hmm. so leading up to the 1996 murder john believed that dave was in his walls and using tunnels under his home to mess with him, quote-unquote. So John then came to hate the color black, claiming that it's the color of death, and he got rid of all of his black horses, people living in his home who drove black cars, and he even fired all the black wrestlers from the team. Uh, Two days after the murder, uh, John was arrested and pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. Experts testified that John was suffering from paranoid schizophrenia. Since he was said to be not insane, but mentally ill, he was found guilty of third degree murder, but mentally ill. So under Pennsylvania law, third degree murder is when one person kills a person with the lack of intent to kill, um mm. so it's kind of not like second degree murder whereas you kill someone out of passion right. um or emotion yeah uh so since- I mean, this guy
1: got in a car drove to this dude's house had a gun with him like yeah. it's crazy to me and also it took two days to get this guy arrested i mean it just shows how much power he had and
0: uh, well what happened was that he went back to his mansion and locked himself in the mansion and police were basically kind of like surrounded the mansion. Mm. And then what they did was that they managed to trick him to get out of the mansion by shutting off the heating system. And since it was in January, it was so cold outside. So they know that he's going to run out of, you know, warmth and he is going to run out of food sometime And basically, he kind of went underground, and then he went to one of, like, the guard houses, I guess. Oh, my God. Yeah, and then when he came out, that's when they arrested him.
1: Well, yeah, because I think you were going to say this, but I thought they were... Because in the movie, he's he's the police. We see the police a lot in this movie. Like, John's just kind of hanging out with them or, you know, shooting with them. So, to me, I guess I was it implied that he he was like working out a deal or was buddy buddy but you're saying no they were they were, he was just being difficult
0: yeah i mean if you shoot someone i'm pretty sure that you can't like run away from it especially when um one of his security guards was there at the scene and it yeah. was the guy that was in the car and then to have dave's wife see it too like you know, it's like too many uh witnesses to not say anything. Mm-hmm. Since we are going to focus more on the cinematography, again, you could listen to um the podcast uh Let's Go to Court, which is episode 64. I think it's the first half of it that talks about John and his mental illness and also his family history too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in terms of Mark Schultz himself, uh, he could be seen as an extra waning in wrestlers before the world's competition. And this is ironic because Schultz hated the final product, believing that the film depicted his relationship with Don as an unrequited romance um and there is a scene uh i'm not going to talk about it during the summer but there is a scene where uh john and mark are wrestling um in this like very dark private room and it's implying that the two had sex based on what the director stated Um, He also asked Miller himself to have the scenes cut out because he and John never had that kind of relationship. He claimed that he tried to stay away from John as much as he can. However, Miller decided to keep the scenes in, explaining that the scenes were meant to give the audience the feeling that John was uh, roaching on Mark's privacy and personal space. Which I totally get, like I can understand in terms of what Miller was trying to convey in like a two-hour film. Um, Schultz took to Twitter after the film was released, calling Miller a pussy and a liar and stating, you think I'm going to sit back and watch you destroy my name and reputation I sweat blood for. And I think he also threatened to kill Miller as well. Uh, I couldn't find that post, but I'm assuming that the quote that I just s- stated was part of the threat. Um, he also mm. argued that the film went from Rocky to Rocky Horror. <laughs> um, this is
1: the real Mark who sent this?
0: Yeah, this is the real Mark. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. I feel like
1: it doesn't really... Like, I don't feel like he's portrayed it in a negative way, you know. I feel like, if anything, it's the film just kind of shows the man- manipulation that John was capable of.
0: Um, yeah, I agree, too. Like, I kind of see it as that Mark was becoming a victim of John DuPont, you know. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, he base like, basically, John took away his ability to, you know, um, live somewhere else, um, have, like, a place to kind of, like, go away, because he would, like, Mark would be woken up in the middle of the night um, by John, being like, okay, let's wrestle. It, it kind of feels like that if Mark ever said no to John, that John could just snap his fingers and basically kick him out and, like, you know, take all the Uh, money that he was planning on giving him, I saw it more as like, oh, he is like a victim, a John DuPont, that he's kind of in this situation where he needs to do what John wants him to do in order to not be homeless and, you know, not be struggling, basically. Yeah. Um, Yeah, you
1: can really tell the dynamic is uh very out of whack uh right away because like yeah uh mark's character is just like this middle-class blue-collar guy and then this other guy's like at the time i guess he was the wealth one of the wealthiest families in america so yeah Yeah. it's clear that it was manipulation Mm
0: -hmm. uh eventually schultz apologized for his comments stating that he was tweeting out of anger and he later stated that Miller's movie is an important movie and is one of the biggest things to happen for, from Olympic wrestling ever. Uh, four days after the release of the film, Mark released a book with David Thomas called Foxcatcher, the true story of my brother's meat murder uh, John Dupont's Madness and the Quest for the Olympic Gold. Uh, so this focuses on Mark's side of the story. Uh, he also stated that him and Dave didn't actually live on the same ranch at the same time. Gotcha. Uh, Dave only moved to the ranch when Mark received a coaching position at BYU in Utah. Uh, when Mark was first hired by John, he was hired to help coach a wrestling team at the Villanova university and lived nearby the, um, by a nearby apartment, which is like about 20 miles from, uh, the ranch. And when he was fired by John, uh, he was given the opportunity to continue training, um, for John, if he moved onto the ranch, and to which he obliged, uh, he also stated that John didn't um, help hook him on drugs, arguing that he already been taking drugs by the time he worked with John. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. <Wow. laughs>
0: Gotcha. Uh, so in terms of the camera uh, cinematography, Greg Frazier used RE Flex 235 camera with Panavision, Panaflex Millennial XL2 camera and Panavision prime lenses. And for the film, uh, he used Kodak 500T, Vision 3 250D, uh, Vision 50 d with a width of 35 millimeter.
1: Yeah, I, I saw that they, they, or I read that they flipped um, um, formats depending on, like, I think it was, you know the introduction in the film when we're with Mark at his home, they used a certain stock. And then when they move on to the estate they changed up stock, film stock and the lighting style also became much more polished I would say, which I'm happy to go into detail from what I saw.
0: Oh yeah, if you if you want to do that now or unless you want to wait until after.
1: Yeah, we can get to that part. Okay. Cuz you're later, yeah, cuz you're still going through the breakthrough. Right. So.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go to the summary right now. Let's do it. Okay. Uh the film starts with a montage of old home videos of members of the DuPont family competing in sports, i.e. equestrian, dog shows, and hunting. It then cuts to Mark Schultz training alone before stopping by elementary school with his gold medal, and he makes a speech to the group of kids on wrestling and winning gold at the 1984 Olympic in Los Angeles. And then it cuts to him receiving a check for $20. However, he is mistaken by his older brother, David, and Mark had to explain that Dave could not make it, which is why Mark had to step in. Um, When he comes back to the wrestling um, building, Dave uh, comes out um, of the office with a group of men from USA Wrestling wanting Dave to coach for their official team. Mark becomes upset, and he feels overshadowed by his older brother. Uh, The two practice in a wrestling fight only for Dave to overpower Mark every time, and frustrated, Mark hits Dave in the nose, causing him to bleed. Uh, Later that night, Mark gets a call from John Dupont. Wondering if he could join him for a meeting at the Fox Catcher Ranch. And once there, John tells Mark that he wants him and his brother to join his wrestling team. Uh, DuPont then shows Mark the wrestling facility he built on his ranch and dreams of taking the team to Seoul in the 1988 Olympics. Mark returns to persuade Dave to join the Foxcatcher team, uh, which is about 25,000 per year and the ability to make their own team. Uh, Despite Dave concerned about leaving because he has commitments back home and his family is happy where they are in Pennsylvania, Dave declines uh, and Mark decides to pack up his items and head to the ranch. Uh, He goes to visit John, but meets Henry Beck, which is one of his employees. He is hounded with harsh questions from Beck before moving into one of the guest houses. Uh, He is informed by one of the employees for the DuPont family that the main house and the horses are off limits. In the dead of night, John visits Mark um, at his uh, guest house and gives him a book on northeastern birds, DuPont rope. Um, over the course of a couple months, Mark practices with the team and he begins to learn more about the DuPont family. Uh, he meets up with John, who wonders where Dave is and asks how much Dave wants, thinking that it's about money. Um, Mark does tell John that he doesn't want to come. And John moves on and to state that the Worlds are coming and he wants Mark to win the competition. At the 1987 Worlds, Mark defeats his appointments and moves on to the next round. After his match, David steps in and competes as John watches from the crowd. Uh, later that day, John and Mark visits Dave and his family at his hotel room. However, Mark becomes upset when Dave and his wife don't give John a proper greeting. And then Mark leaves the room, but Dave follows him behind. And, see, and instead of apologizing, he kind of teaches Mark, be like, okay, you shouldn't do this position. You should do this position. And then it cuts to Mark winning the worlds and celebrating with Dave before heading to John and hugging him. Uh, back at the mansion, John removes some of his mother's awards and the trophy room to make room for Mark's trophies. Over time, John and Mark become closer and begin to hang out more. While John and Mark fly to a dinner party via helicopter, John snorts cocaine in front of Mark um, while Mark reads through his speech. John offers Mark some of the cocaine and even teaches him how to snort it. And then a couple months... He's
1: like, it's just cocaine. It's not going to kill you. Yeah. (laughs) That was hilarious.
0: Yeah, and he was like, wait a minute. Does it hurt? And he's like, no, it doesn't hurt. Like, just snort it. And it's like... Uh, A couple of months later, uh, Dave calls Mark to see how he's doing. And by now, Mark is donning on blonde kind of like frosted tips and is taking time off from practice. Uh, He is also using cocaine on a regular basis and drinking more than usual. Uh, At this point, John reveals to Mark that he is his true friend and explains that the other friend that he had growing up uh, was paid by his mother to be his friend. Uh, Mark revealed that Dave was also his only friend growing up. And it is true in terms of John's biography that yes, he he did have one friend, um, but because he was very weird and awkward than what a normal child would be, that his mom basically paid like some boy to be his friend. John himself competes in an amateur wrestling tournament he organized and funded with Mark coaching him. And after John wins, the opponent receives an envelope from John's employee as John celebrates with Mark. And it's kind of like a very, like, cringy scene because you have this, like, I would say, like, middle-aged guy who isn't sh- in shape of wrestling to all of a sudden win a competition that he funded and, like, is throwing, like,
1: definitely yeah yeah I mean it just I think at that moment it's when uh Channing Tatum's character Mark realizes what's going on right like because I remember like there's a close-up on him that lingers and he's just kind of like looking all around and I think that's when it hits him for the first time like man this guy's like this guy's got some issues and 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 just buys everything
0: yeah I think like it was kind of like a like kind of like these shots between uh, Mark and then the guy who's head of the USA wrestling team. Um, Cause I guess he notices him that he's here at this amateur competition is like, Oh my God, like this is really embarrassing to me. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So when John shows off his medal to his mom, Jean Dupont, she argues that wrestling is a low sport and doesn't want her son to be low. Upset. John heads to the wrestling facility only to find no one there and he finds them at one of the guest house watching an like MMA fighting competition and this is kind of like the early stages of MMA it's very like I think it was like against a, uh, a karate expert and then like an actual MMA fighter. Um, John becomes upset that Mark is making the decisions for the team and orders Mark to bring David. Mark tells John that Dave doesn't want to come, causing John to slap him in front of the other wrestlers. And then he leaves arguing that he will get Dave no matter at what cost. Soon, Dave arrives with his family to go to work um, and train for the team. Uh, mark becomes upset that dave is here and tries to train alone however he storms out of the training room after john tries to teach him how to use the leg lifter
1: yeah that was another hugely cringe moment from john just like because he does this thing all the time in the movie where he like stops everybody's training just to like pretend like he's helping and that part was definitely the most cringe for me when he comes over and it's like, good, like keep doing it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm already doing it. So Yeah.
0: It's like, it's not that hard. It's just, you just, you lift your legs. It's <laughs> yeah. it Yeah. I agree. It was a very cringy moment because like you bas- it's like a scene where you have Dave trying to like teach people how to um, prevent the opponent from flipping you and while everyone's watching that uh, mark is like in the corner of the room just doing leg lifts and just ignoring everyone and then john notices that and then walks up to um, mark
1: there's so many subtle beats and stuff like that just throughout the whole movie where you can see the internal processing of the characters and why they're doing stuff which you know, that's why this film is like, I would definitely recommend it because it's a very visual and you you can just kind of like see how people are changing in their heads as they go. And for John, I think that was him realizing, holy crap, I'm like, I'm a shitty coach. Like I'm, sh- I'm going to try to do what Dave's doing because Dave is just the best, really.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think he, he idolizes Dave in a way because he's like, oh, wow, like this is like, the guy to have um your team be coached by mm-hmm. um and i'm not sure how much they've received to come and move in to the ranch uh i'm unsure about that i couldn't find like an exact um like uh payment but i'm assuming it's a lot but it probably wasn't a lot for John. I think it was like oh, okay, like that's not bad. <laughs> right, right. Dave tries to talk to Mark in a pri- in private, um, but it's to no avail. And then one day, Jean visits the training facility, causing John to try to make a speech for the team, and try to teach them one of the wrestling techniques with one of the students. But she leaves when John gives his back to his students, which is basically when he um, decides to be lying on the ground and to have his one of the students kind of like go over him. During the opening round of the Olympic trials, Mark loses his first match and upset uh, Mark breaks items of his hotel room and binge eats. Dave breaks into Mark's room and tries to make him lose the extra weight before his match. Uh, John tries to talk to Mark while they were in this hallway on this, like, elliptical bike. But Dave turns John away. Mark makes his weights and wins his matches, making him eligible to join the Olympic team. Later that day, Dave reaches out to Henry Beck about John's whereabouts because he wasn't there during the final match. And Henry stated that John's mother passed away. Uh, Back at the estate, John enters the training room with a documentary team to capture the training as they get ready for the Olympics. And John tries to talk to Mark, who refused to reply. Uh, While working at his office, Dave encounters Mark, who tells him that he wants to get out of the Fox ranch. Like Mark wants to leave and wants Dave to come with him. But Dave tells Mark that it's not easy as Mark thinks it is and doesn't want to move around like their parents did when they were growing up. Like he basically wanted to be like, yeah, like me and my wife are going to try to make this work and the kids love it. Like, why should we move again? Uh, Mark insists that he is going to lead the ranch after the Olympics while Dave states that he is going to make it work. Dave then goes to the training facility to participate in an interview for the documentary. However, he had trouble stating that John is his mentor because like he was talking to the, the director. He was saying, well well you know you know how John wants you to you know, say like he wants you to consider him as his mentor and then dave's like no he's not my mentor like he's just some guy that's funding it and then mark and dave uh, has a meeting with john and henry who reminds them that that mark has to stay with the team through the olympics Uh, dave agrees but asks henry to promise that mark will be taken care of once he leaves the team And he offers to stay at the ranch as long as Mark received payments from the DuPont family. Uh, Henry agrees as long as John joins Mark in his corner during the matches. And then it cuts to uh, Mark competing in the Olympics with Dave and John in his corner. Uh, Mark fails to win the match causing him, Dave, and John to return to the Foxcatcher ranch. So in terms of the true um, story, Mark finished sixth in the wrestling competition uh, for his weight. And when they return, uh, new security was put in place, and Mark moves out of the estate. And there's like a montage of John trying to hang out with Dave more than usual, and Dave's like, "No, like it's family time, like." you know, you can't come here like on Sundays or whatnot. And it's it doesn't really state in the film of how many months or years it's been. But in reality, it has been eight years later since the Olympics. And John watches the documentary in the trophy room. And once the film ends, John asks his driver to get his car. And the two drive to Dave's house where Dave is busy fixing a car radio. And Dave notices John and walks up to the car, greeting him. And without hesitation, John pulls out a gun and asks Dave if he has a problem, problem with him. Dave tells him that he doesn't before John shoots him three times. John leaves and heads back to the mansion, unfazed, and Dave dies moments later. Uh, John was arrested two days later, but in the film, it made it seem like it's been a couple of hours. Uh, The film cuts to Mark, who uh, competes in a cage fighting match for the UFC, and then it cuts back As the film notes, that Dave was posthumously inducted into the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. He is survived by his wife and children. Mark retired from competitive wrestling after the 1988 Olympics. And he lives in Oregon where he does wrestling clinics. They also forgot to note that he went on to uh, fight a couple of UFC fights and I think he went on to be a commentator for UFC, but it's unsure. Mm-hmm. And John DuPont died in prison on December 9, 2010 of Natural Causes. And yeah, that's that's the end of the film.
1: Yeah, overall, thought it was fantastic. The actors were the acting was great. The, the direction was great. Um, I would definitely recommend it. It's a slow burn of a film, I would say. But I think just that drama and what I said earlier about like you know really being able to feel and engage in like the beats that the characters are going through is what makes it like a really good experience to watch the drama is high the stakes are high
0: yeah possibly. I agree yeah I feel I like the film and again same thing with you it's not a film that a lot of people would like because it is based on a true story and it um it talked about a true crime that happened but i think that it's really good in terms of the character development and to kind of see a progress of at the relationship between mark and dave as well as the relationship between um mark and john and just kind of like what they were going through throughout the years from like the national champions to the worlds to uh, the Olympics. Like I do agree that it is a slow burner. It's not like a fast pace. And I, I, I really like it because it takes its time to kind of unfold um, the different layers of the characters and to kind of slowly... See John from being like this, like, weird, like, rich guy to being like, Yeah, he's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, and I also liked how they did a uh, little um moments between Mark and Dave, especially in terms of the relationship. That I think, like, in the beginning they were close, but I feel like that they were closer towards the end, um, when mark was leaving because he knew that that he probably won't get to see dave as much as he would before so i think it was kind of more of like a goodbye forever because like you know as we noted that the security got tighter when they came back it may be harder for him to go and visit basically
1: i was going to ask were you satisfied with the ending like how it just kind of ends abruptly.
0: Honestly, I think it's fine given the fact that this was more about Mark's story mm-hmm. than about John DuPont. I think if this was more focused on John DuPont's biography, I would like it to kind of expand more on his relationship with his mom and then maybe a backstory about his him growing up aside from, you mm-hmm. know, the friend and, yeah, like, because I, I knew that this isn't about his story. I think it was more about the relationship between Mark, Dave, and then Mark and John. So I figured it was more about Mark himself.
1: I kind of wished I saw a little bit more of, like, Mark reacting to John shooting his brother. Because we don't really get that, I don't think. Right? We just you know it happens john goes to jail and then we see mark in a ufc fight and i mean i don't know if it would have helped the 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 film any to add more of that to the end i guess it was just kind of like something that i wanted to see or, or i'm curious now to know like how how that affected everything
0: yeah he didn't fully state because i i try to like look up in articles about how mark felt when dave died so i think like it it kind of was a situation where he didn't want to talk about it and i think it again goes on this whole um idea of like oh like i'm a man i need to hide my emotions so i think he probably is in that situation where he doesn't want to express his feelings about his uh brother's death
1: Mm -hmm. so yeah that makes sense yeah the cinematography greg frazier you know he says a quote of his and i'm paraphrasing is like i don't want people to notice my my cinematography i want them to feel it so you know for for him it's it's a win when it's very subtle you know and kind of takes a backseat to the story. I think it definitely, he knocks it out of the park with that in this film. Uh, but because I know I'm not just like, because we went to film school and studied film and, and do this as for a living, you know, I think we notice the techniques. And for me, like, I think what I noticed was camera movement was was very helpful to the pacing of the film and having it be like this slow burn because a lot of the shots are static or locked off and it's panning, but you know, it's locked off. And the only moments we get more handheld, is kind of like when it's more personal or high stakes. Like, I I think for me, the, from what I saw, I think the first time we saw handheld was when Mark goes back to the hotel and he's hitting himself after losing that first run in the trials. Yeah. Um, so you notice that, and then there's that, but there's also like a zoom at one point, which the film doesn't have any zooms up until this moment when Steve Carell, uh, let's go of the horses in that scene where it there's just it starts wider and it zooms in uh, within the same shot, and I feel like it goes with Greg Frazier's style of 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 um, not you know of letting the story dictate what the shot should be. I saw another video also on YouTube where it, it said that for another project like uh, Greg would he didn't watch a documentary on the film they were shooting for Lion, but there was like a full documentary and he said like I specifically avoid any of that stuff and even looking at references because he rather he rather read the script and his imagination whatever his pure you know un un affected images that come in his head, that's what he wants to put on the film, you know. So I never I didn't know about that about him. I thought I thought that's a pretty great way to approach a film because then, you know, it's your eye that's coming up with these images and not necessarily, you know, being influenced by the work of other people about the same thing. You know, so it's yeah. it's very it makes it unique, personal to him, and it gets rid of all the noise, you know, it's like, okay, I'm gonna focus on the story. So him doing these things and, and changing up uh, just the approach on the day based on what he thinks the the story is doing. I think I think that makes this film enjoyable because he does do he does do that and it's it's subtle, everything is subtle and all that.
0: Yeah. And I also feel like that maybe the documentaries may limit his imagination. Because then he's mm-hmm. like, oh, like, this is how they shot it. So I should only shot it this way. So I totally agree on that. I think, like, for me, I really liked it because it, it again, it allowed the story to tell itself rather than having the cinematography tell the story, which is ironic because, like, we need cinematography in order to tell a story um, for film or TV, but I think I, I, I still love it that he still continues on this whole path of using a lot of fluorescent lights. So you could mm-hmm. kind of see like a pattern and like killing uh, them softly. It's like a lot of like static shots. And even if there's like a lot of death to it, if like one person is on the end of the uh, room, that it still allows... To see that uh, image while also seeing everything else like in the middle ground. Yes, yeah, so I still love his death shots. Um, I think like my favorite shots uh, was the wrestling uh, shots. I think it was the trials. I think that was like my favorite ones because it was very like simple lighting. It was just like the, you know, big, huge light in the middle. And then you have like a lot of shadows. I also like the scene where we first meet John DuPont at the, I think the, I think it was the trophy room that they went to. And then he was kind of like explaining about, you know, what he wants to do. Um, I really like it because like you could see like a nice like shadow of John DuPont. And it's not, it's like very subtle. It's not harsh, it's very subtle. And I also like the light that's coming onto his uh, right side of his face, and it's the same thing with uh, Mark's uh, lighting. But I think like it's interesting because like with John Dupont, like I don't know if this is kind of what what Greg Fraser was trying to kind of foreshadow, but you could tell that he has like the outside of him with is the light side which is like what people see him as, as this like nice guy Mm. who's, you know, going to fund the U.S. team for the wrestling. Um, But then the shadow is like subtle. So it's kind of like being like, okay, like he does have like mental illness and he does have a dark side of him. But it's very, it's not too dark. It's like subtle. And I think like as it continues on, like, I feel that his shadow side kind of gets a little darker,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but I may be, like, overthinking it.
1: No, I think all those things are intentional, because um, I was going to say, speak to the, the, what you said about how he uses fluorescent lighting. Uh, I think he's a master at it, because it's not like, you know, you can't, like, show up to a place and just shoot, and it looks as good as he makes it look, you know, like, it really yeah. shows, even if, you know the lighting is simple and i i read also that sometimes he just uses black fabrics solids to to shape the light and keeps lighting very minimal like it still shows how much um how developed his eye is and understanding like the elements of light and shadow and what makes an image um, dynamic and beautiful because even Half, not half the time, but there's, I, I noticed many scenes where the characters are not standing in the light, where they're standing in the sh- the shadier part of a scene, you know, and they're more like silhouetted against something else. And that happens all the time when he's driving in the car, when he's at the beginning, when he's at the school, uh, getting his check, like this guy like really knows how to like control where the light is hitting and not. And, and all the, the wrestling stuff too, I'm just blown away because I know if I, you know, show up, it's gonna, like, this guy's doing a lot of work to make the image look as good as it does, even though, you know, it doesn't seem like it. And that's like what makes him great, you know, which is that he's so, he found a way to kind of like make the natural look good because normally you that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, and I think it comes down to, to the tonality that he gets on the face, you know, exposing like the gym stuff. I, I felt like it was exposed at middle gray, if not a little bit under, and that's what makes it feel, you know, more tasteful than, than just having like the same types of like practical lights at a brighter level. You know, this guy understands tonality um, and how to make an, uh, a specific image like interesting just with the tonality alone yeah so lighting wise crazy stuff like it's it's so simple it's so everything is motivated except for when they're in the estate i was going to say that like i noticed a shot because i i prefer a little bit more or the way i i i've worked and learned lighting and stuff has a little bit more polish to it so it's a little bit brighter it's a little bit more uh, yeah it's a little bit brighter and softer and all this and i started noticing that in the estate when he's first in his in the lodge that um john gives mark like there's this far side edge that's like a stopover key then the keys rack very softly probably with a bounce but then there's a nice three to one ratio between the key and the fill side so it's like very you know that's traditionally a very polished hollywood traditional hollywood way of lighting things so and I, I did read that that was on purpose because, you know, when they're in this amazing place, you know, everything has more of a superficial quality or or something like that. So it's yeah. the difference is not too crazy between the beginning and the in that part. So, you know, but it's still there. and I, I definitely noticed it like I because that's how I would like something, you know, if I want it to look very classical Hollywood or something like that.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, going back to the estates, like, especially with um, at the DuPont mansion, like, yes, it has, like, like these gigantic windows, and then you do have the fluorescent lighting coming in, but it is interesting because it looks duller than a lot of, um, you know, other usual, typical, like, mansion lighting would be, you know? It's not like fancy or like bright it's kind of has like a subtle tint to it where like I'm assuming like in terms of like you know my screenwriting and directing background it's more kind of like a subtle hint that this isn't like a perfect family like this isn't like John isn't the perfect person um so I mean it's like it's kind of it, it probably isn't um something that a regular like viewer would see but for you know people who write or direct or even like shoot uh, cinematography like they would kind of like see like well something is going to come like a foreshadow is going to happen
1: mm-hmm. yeah. absolutely it's i would say the a strong element in, in making The images feel that way. It's like desaturation for sure. There was, you know, a lot of the spaces in that mansion where it felt, the the colors felt desaturated for sure. Uh, One other thing I did want to talk about also was the framing. And also, especially in the mansion, like the framing was very balanced. Everything was very balanced. And like the shapes made a closed frame versus an open frame, as in like, The framing would frame the like the wides. The wides were great in this film. Yeah, everything was always enclosed by other shapes that were in the frame. Just you know, visually, like lines can create shapes within the frame, and and in the mansion, I noticed that a lot, where there were either a lot of frame within frames, or or the shapes in the frame, uh, like the cumulative shape of all the elements in the frame added up to something that was very enclosed and like uh, 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 you know very balanced and like just rigid so uh, yeah, something else I wanted to talk about yeah the white shots in this film were sick like I super I super enjoyed the framing in this film
0: oh yeah I love like when like the mansion was in the background and then um, I think it was when Mark came in at the beginning and I think it's the same thing when John met uh Dave when he came in also via helicopter yeah um yeah I think it's like uh interesting because I think like in terms of Mark's entrance I think the shot it was like a bright natural lighting and then when dave came in it was kind of a foggy well not foggy but like overcast yeah um so again like it's like ironically also foreshadow like you know where it it kind of felt like that as like the film continued on that it started getting a little darker and a little more eerie in a sense Um, absolutely yeah
1: yeah, it's a whole nother element of of, uh, of cinematography is just the progress of, of the techniques you're using throughout. Yeah, and, and you can tell there's an arc to the visual, to the visuals throughout the film. Mm-hmm. So that speaks well on, you know, it shows this DP knows what he's doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's great Fraser. <laughs>
1: yeah he's shooting dune now and or shot dune and he shot batman now so
0: yeah i mean i did see the trailer uh for dune and it looks great uh it's kind of like the same thing as uh the fox catcher where it's a little desaturated Mm -hmm. so i don't know if he's like transitioning into more desaturation and um I think in terms of like Batman or the Batman, I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is the Batman. We have to, we have to be clear about it. Nowadays. Yeah,
0: for that, it, it seems like there's a lot of shadows. I don't know, like, what did you think about the trailers?
1: Um, I mean, yeah, I'm excited because, well, I had only seen uh, Killing Them Softly. And then, uh, wait, did I watch another Greg Frazier movie recently? I might have. Um, yeah, I saw Zero Dark Thirty, actually, uh, which is also a Greg Frazier movie.
0: Oh, cool. Uh, recently.
1: So, you know, I'm pretty hyped on these trailers because, you know, he chooses projects that are high in stakes and drama. So now it makes me anticipate for those movies, like a lot of good character moments, you know, because pretty much every film he's done, like the characters in those films are always very Uh, three-dimensional and dynamic and you know have their flaws and and you know you can the actors are always really good also so I'm hyped on I'm hyped on Dune I started the book but never finished it (laughs) and then uh, I'm I'm hyped on Batman too I mean the darkness of it the grittiness grittiness of it yeah I'm I'm all about it and I feel like for me it's something that is a style of cinematography that you know, I still haven't quite mastered, and because I always just the way I learn, it, it's it's a little bit different. So, yeah. I love to see when people can like really, like lock in that style of a little bit underexposed and you know a lot of shadows and and uh, and just Greg Frazier's unique framing. I feel like is, I'm excited for sure.
0: Yeah, I'm excited for um, the Batman. I mean, like, I'm not sure about Dune. Like, I mean, I I would watch it, but it's I know it's going to be like a three hour or four hour movie, so I may have to take breaks. <laughs> right. But yeah, I am ready for uh, the Batman. I feel like that is going to be a really great film, and it's interesting because, like, compared to Christopher Nolan's uh, his trilogy, like, I feel like this would be a little darker. In terms of like this, you know, the saturation and the lighting, because I think um, if we're, you know, comparing it to the trilogy, uh, the Batman trilogy, like that's, I would say, is a warmer. And I think it's a lot of natural lighting in a sense. And uh, since Greg is known for doing fluorescent lighting, like I'm interested in seeing how. He continues that, unless he you know, is going to put that away for this film. But I would be interested in like seeing that, seeing that fluorescent lighting that he is um, an expert on.
1: Yeah, I think definitely in Batman, probably, just by the settings. And Dune, I wonder if if they'll do that, because I feel like it's...
0: Yeah, it seems like it's going to be mostly outside, so that would right. be... And like mostly in the desert but still has his like desaturation and but yeah i'm also interested in that too
1: yeah i, I can't wait we should maybe even do a podcast on on them because they're coming out soon i think right dune is coming out. This- um
0: i think i thought dune was coming out next year and then um like the batman was coming also next year
1: no, Dune comes out in
0: October. Oh.
1: So really close.
0: Okay. So Dune's coming out first and then the Batman is coming out March fourth of next year.
1: Yeah. Uh, is there anything else about the cinematography in this film that you that stood out to you? Or
0: um were, were there any other shots that you were that was like your favorite?
1: Yeah, let me think. All I remember is Mark Ruffalo's, like, lovable face.
0: Yeah, I mean, he donned that receding hairline pretty good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that bald spot. Like, how can you not... that like, that's that's just the most warm-looking person. Like, you know, non-threatening person ever.
0: Well, I think, like... I think Dave himself was like that. He was very warm, very friendly. And then Mark was the one that was very, like... Um, kind of kept to himself and um, would kind of do angry bursts every now and then. Like uh, one experience uh, after the film was released.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm still trying to think of what images stand out to me.
0: I mean, my favorite, um, I would say it was the, the wrestling. I think it was the world's one. Because there was this one shot where it was, like, very, like, a long shot. Um, I think it was with Dave and Mark talking to each other. And then it cuts to John DuPont watching them talk. I think that's my favorite shot. Because, like, a lot of stuff is happening in the middle ground. and yeah and again it's like static so it doesn't like move in so it's kind of like you're being in that experience where you are watching in the same angle and same distance as John DuPont would have Mm -hmm. yeah
1: I think for me one of my favorite shots was that horse when he when uh John lets go of the horses it's like a silhouette uh, Cause he starts in the barn and we see out the big barn doors. So we're exposed for the exterior and, and you got the dude, you got John in the foreground silhouetted, and then you have the horses moving from the silhouette to, to exposure. And, you know, that whole image there. And with the movement, the tonality, super, super awesome shot. And with the zoom also that, yeah, that like stands out with, compared to the rest of the film Mm. um
0: yeah i think that that shot was in the trailer when um they were marketing it i did remember that because it was like a it was that one it was uh mark hitting himself in the mirror and then i think it was the one shot that i was talking about where you see Mark and Dave talking, and then it cuts to John standing.
1: I remember another one. I yeah. remember it's um, it's one of the nights when uh, John comes to to Mark's, I guess, uh, house, and the scene starts with a portrait on the wall of like one of John's, you know, dynasty family members or whatever, but like. It's really dark like where you can barely see the the painting. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm about. talking about? Yeah.
1: And then his car's headlights like shine light on over it and across it, but it's going through like trees, so there's like a lot of dapple and all that stuff. But even just that first first few like seconds of the shot where before that happens where you barely notice the face, like I thought that was exquisite.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah i agree i agree too yeah i yeah because like i did remember watching it and then and watching that scene and then like you kind of had to squint but then yeah. that's when the headlights come by and then you're yeah. like oh it's a portrait
1: yeah it's kind of like it, always, it gave me like horror movie vibes where like you're like is that a person standing in the corner there
0: so, yeah
1: yeah <laughs> that was cool like that shower. um
0: yeah, like if um if you don't have anything else to talk about, then um we could like end the podcast.
1: Yeah. I think it was uh I think I got out everything that was on my chest about yeah. this film.
0: Yeah, um, same here.
1: Yeah. When um, did you I, I watched it today. When did you watch it?
0: Uh I think it was like Sunday I watched it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, so it's still very present in me. And I, if we do this again, we should. Uh, I think I'm down and do another Greg Frazier movie if you are.
0: Oh, yeah, like we could either do Zero Dark 30 or Lion, because I think those are the only two films, like big films he did.
1: Yeah, I'd be down and do Lion. I think okay think would be a good choice.
0: Sounds yeah. good. Uh, that is it for this episode. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at J A N D M podcasts. Oscar, do you have any plugins you would like to?
1: Uh, yeah, I have an Instagram. Oh Man, I always forget it. I'm bad at plugging myself in. Here we go. Everybody ready? It's O-J-E-S-S one five. That's my Instagram account where I post a lot of my work and then there you'll find my cinematography specific account which is still uh I'm still building it up so but you can see a lot of my stuff on the on the first one I just mentioned
0: yeah and um in terms of personal experiences he's a great cinematographer Um, yes we
1: worked on a movie together yes we did I think we mentioned that last time but (laughs) yeah uh
0: yeah like does a lot of very good shots. I think like when we did the film is a lot of natural lighting, a lot of like Mm -hmm. very, um, kind of natural exposure. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, yeah. Like I, I know that you changed, you know, for different films. So yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: No, I it's, I honestly am super proud of how the images we made in that film and I still get asked about it. Like I don't know if you remember Alessio, he hit me up this month and he was like, Hey, like the one with the high school, like, how did you guys do this? And like, so I still get like complimented on it and I am super proud of it still. So.
0: Oh yeah. I am super proud of it too. Like I, I I think it was one of my favorite uh, projects because it was very Mm -hmm. like very natural. It was, you know, kind of like a little like subtle slow burner yeah, I, I like it. I like the story. I think, like, it's a great story because it's kind of like a telenovela modern um, version of it. Um, so there's a lot of, like, uh, soap opera drama, but not as, like, <laughs> not as big as, like, normal Telemundo or right. telenovela um, would be. But, yeah, I really like it. I love the cast. I love the people that I worked with. Yeah, great Great story. We'll do okay. it again sometime. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: awesome. Uh, so, yeah, if you like this episode, please write and review us on Apple Podcasts. And thank you for listening and hope you come back next week. Bye.
1: Bye.